Who wants, Daddy, who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants coffee? And now, it's time for the man with the caffeine. The new tropics for the brain. It's Coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Job Chat. It's Coffee with Mike here. And today, whoops. Some days I have to point this way. Some days I have to point this. This is ridiculous. Um, I get to sit with this gentleman here and, and talk privacy, uh, which has really been a big uh, subject of discussion <laughs> as of as of the last like i think two years now <laughs> so please welcome to the java chat david sinclair david thanks for coming and hanging out with me today thanks a lot for having me i appreciate it yeah it's this has been it's been a long time coming and, and i'm sure we're i'm pretty sure we're going to start getting a lot of comments on this one um dave is the founder of a company called volta wireless and we, we came across, well, I came across David on LinkedIn and I, his story, just his profile kind of intrigued me because he kind of promotes privacy. And that's a big thing with a lot of, a lot of people these days, um, irrespective of, of uh, it, it's, been, it's been in political circles a lot, but irrespective of that, everybody's been talking about privacy because big tech's been an issue. Um, so, but Dave has a really interesting backstory. You guys got to hear this. The man hasn't been here for a while. He just came home and just got bored. <laughs> so hear this out. <laughs> Give us an idea of like how, first off, where have you been? How did, how did this all come into play? What's, what's your story? Uh, you know, background, grew up in a small town and wanted to see the world. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, was lucky enough to be able to do that. So uh, uh, I, I, jumped into the IT industry back in 2000 during the dot-com boom and uh, quickly found a spot in, uh, uh, I was working for HP at the time, Hewlett Packard, and uh, uh, through HP, because one of the great things about HP is at one point it was such a huge company with so many different businesses. I was able to work in consumer and small and medium business and corporate enterprise stuff. It was awesome and uh, spent a lot of years moving from country to country with them. Uh, managing the, uh, parts of their business in various countries. Uh, I even managed uh, something that they call Alliance Business, where I got to meet a lot of people working in other tech companies, Oracle, Microsoft, Accenture, you know, all, basically everybody, IBM, wow. et cetera. Wow. And uh, everybody had different perspectives on things. And then oh, I spent sure. my last, uh, uh, I guess, seven, eight years with them uh, managing their systems integration and outsourcing business in 10 countries in uh, Eastern Europe and Central Asia. And so... Uh, most people don't know that HP is that large a company. They just, they, they only see computers. You know, we had everything from printers and, you know, little handheld devices and stuff like that. Calculators, by the way. Yeah. Uh, up through, uh, uh, you know, up through PCs, then to servers, storage, software. You know, HP, when I was there, was the fourth largest software vendor in the world. Jesus. You, know, you have Microsoft, IBM, I think it was SAP was number three, and then it was HP. You know, so they were huge. I think I, now what they've done now since I left them right around the time they started breaking up the business. Yeah. So they sold off their software business to Microfocus. The systems integration outsourcing business is now DXC. Uh, they split that, they spun that out. Uh, they spun out the printer and the PC business into what's today is uh, HP, Hewlett Packard. And then they have the server and storage and networking business in Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Yeah. But uh, yeah. 
you know, so it's, it, it's a bunch of different companies now, but back when I was with them, it was all one large company. And as an employee with them, I had the opportunity to, to work in different divisions and learn different businesses and move all over the world with them. And we, we lived in uh, eight or nine different countries and I traveled to some, somewhere in the neighborhood. I've traveled to somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 countries. Wow. Uh, and so, and, and it, by the way, guys, these aren't the countries that everybody knows as the cool places to live. These, I mean, like you went into <laughs> places that are like, out of the way countries you go, how do you pronounce that? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, 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 you know, I, I will tell you one fun, funny story is uh, I was managing the systems integration outsourcing business in the CIS, the former Soviet Union without Russia, basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we had a big project opportunity in uh, Kazakhstan. And like with all corporations, the higher, the bigger the project, the higher the approval level goes. Sure. So we got into a call with European management and I start telling them about my project. And the first question I get asked is, wait a minute, is Kazakhstan even a part of EMEA? Isn't that a part of Asia Pacific? So, uh, it, you know, it, it, it took a while for people to uh, adjust, you know, to, to figure it out, you know, but uh, uh, we, I worked in, in you know, Tanzania, uh, South Africa, did projects in Nigeria and Kenya, uh, helped support a project in Liberia, uh, wow. Moldova. Um, wow. I didn't go to Liberia myself, but I did have uh, 10, 15 guys implementing an SAP project for a, a new port and mining operation down there at one point. So, uh, see, most, people, most people don't realize that these are the, the different industries that HP has actually, actually been involved with. I mean, mining. Oh yeah. Mining is a huge industry. It is. ArcelorMittal. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. big, big client we worked with when, when we were there. ArcelorMittal had a big, uh, operation <laughs> in the Czech Republic. And so our Czech entity, was a huge supplier to them of a, a, a lot of systems integration business actually for them. So a lot of people don't realize it, but um, back before HP acquired EDS, HP had its own systems integration and outsourcing business. That was like the fifth largest player in the world before they bought EDS. And the biggest part of it, more than a quarter of it was Central and Eastern Europe. Wow. And that was what I was doing when I was, was with them, was working for that division. And then when we, acquired EDS, Central Asian Europe was the one place where the EDSers didn't take everything over uh, because our business was so much bigger than theirs in, in Central and Eastern Europe. So, uh, no, it, it, it's, it was great. Yeah, you, you spent how many years going through all of that? Uh, I joined HP in 2000, left them in 2016, I think it was. Yeah, 16. 16. So it's been 16 years. Yeah. And then uh, when I left them in 16, I... I partnered up with a couple of local guys in Kazakhstan and we started our own industrial automation business. A lot of what I've been doing the last couple of years at HP was industrial automation for the national railways and big pipeline players and things like that. And uh, so when, when I left HP, I still had a lot of those contacts and we started up a business essentially doing the same thing I was doing at HP. Uh, in Kaz based in Kazakhstan, headquartered in Astana, Kazakhstan, what today is called Nur Sultan, it's the capital uh, in Kazakhstan, but doing business across Central Asia and a little bit in the Middle East and South Asia. Uh, you know, I even went into Myanmar. Uh, I've actually got a lot of good business contacts still in Myanmar that I, I'm in contact with them, you know, a few times a week, actually, these days with everything they've got going on over there. So uh, are they are they on a, they on a growth spurt of, of a sort? Is that what that is? No, no. It, it, the military coup oh. happened in February. That's right. I remember now. Okay. It's All been right. it, it's a mess there. And so <laughs> you know, a lot of the discussions with them is how can they keep their business going? In the with everything that's craziness. going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because there's, there's lockdowns on capital. So, you know, they'll have tons of cash, but they can't get it out of the country. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they can't do anything with it in the country because there's nothing to buy. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, and, and then there's, you know, a lot of uh, uh, sell, sales of Western entities are leaving. So Telenor is leaving uh, the country. One of the big mobile operators are leaving the country. And so there's a sale of their entity. And of course, the government wouldn't let them sell it to the one they wanted to sell it to until a portion of it went to somebody that was, you know, close to the government, you know, crony capitalism. So, uh, yeah, all Woo! kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely forgot about it. You know, we get, we get so locked down into what's going on here at home and all of the, the political climate here that stuff like that. And, and that did make news. I do remember seeing that. I remember seeing it being played out on, on some of the social media platforms. And I was like, well, I really feel for those guys because that's, that's just not a good situation to be a part of, no matter whether you're military, non-military, it doesn't matter. It's, that's a hard situation to be around. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, a, a large chunk of the emerging markets in the world don't have, you know, basic democracy and basic democratic values and all that. And, and so, you know, kind of segueing into how I got to where I am today, you know, one of the things I experienced when I was working in these countries was I was always being watched. Uh, he's that foreigner. He's doing technology stuff. And oh, by the way, this technology stuff is going into this government ministry or that uh, national company, you know, uh, the uh, uh, Department of Defense or the Ministry of Defense in one of these countries freaking out because we're implementing something in the railways and the railways, their primary way of moving goods for military you know if they've got to move tanks and stuff like that long distance they're putting them on rail and uh them freaking out about wait a minute this western company has access to traffic management systems you know because we we're doing traffic management systems for the kazakh national railways and and actually there's a, a consortium that's the chinese national railways the kazakh national railways and the russian national railways that moves goods from factories in western china to western europe so, and actually the, the, the company that helped start all this up was HP with their factories in Western China. And I was kind of the guy at the tip of the spear helping to put that logistics agreement in place. So we of course had the worldwide logistics guys flying in, but when they needed local guy involved, I was the local guy in Kazakhstan going and engaging with the Chinese national railways and Russian national railways and stuff like that. And so- That's, that's gotta be insane. It was cool. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's cool, but I mean, it's like you are dealing with major powers that point uh, you know it, it's a different culture yeah uh, i sure. have met i've met a number of national leaders from various countries in the region uh you know lucky enough to be an american that i was able to go to the u.s embassy when i'd show up in a country looking to work on a project and i'd get the u.s ambassador to help me you know open up doors and and, and frankly uh, the vast majority of u.s ambassadors in those countries tend to be not political appointees they tend to be professional foreign service who've been in it for 20 30 years and you go to them as an American businessman and, and you know, while they're never going to, they don't, the government, the U.S. policy of the government is not to do stuff that is like overtly helping to support American businesses get in there. Right. But at the same time, they do open doors. They do make introductions. And, and, and you know, I was kind enough to have people from the U.S. State Department uh, help to open doors for me in various I countries. That was my understanding too, that ambassadors were not supposed to be necessarily political kind of people, that they were supposed to be more uh, professional kinds of people that, that can understand, one, they can integrate into the, the local culture, they, like, they can meet with people, sometimes they're even somebody that's from the region um, that maybe became, I, I don't know the whole thing, but they're supposed to be there to create um, goodwill between two countries, and sometimes that means helping with business. Like you said, opening doors. Um, that's encouraging to hear. Actually, that's really encouraging to hear, especially in those areas, because those are those are those are places where a lot of the Western cultures we don't 
we don't understand what they do. We don't, it's hard for us to mix the ideas into our own heads as of, of these dictatorships, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. So, so you, 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 you were there for 16 years and then it's time to come home. <laughs> so uh, I told you, I started up my own business and uh, in 2019, we sold that business. Uh, so we were doing industrial automation and there was a company that wanted to get into that space. And so we sold our company to them. And I had moved my family back to the US a couple of years before because I knew this was coming. Well, you know, that was our plan was build the business and sell it in the very beginning. Uh, and so I moved back to the US full time in 2019 and thought, hey, this is great. You know, I got a son who's in high school. I'm going to get to spend a lot more time with my family. Uh, life is going to be wonderful. And about three months into it, I was bored out of my mind. Uh, my wife was begging me to find something to do because I was driving her crazy because I was home all the time. So uh, uh, I started getting into looking at 5G. You know, 5G is the new and up and coming thing. And it seems like you know, there's got to be a lot of great opportunities there. And so I started investigating. It. And as I began investigating, and you know, I've personally never been big into social media. You know, I have a Facebook account and I've never posted anything to it. I use it to go and look at other people's Facebooks to see what's <laughs> going on with them. You know, my, my sisters you know, see what's going on with their kids or my cousins and stuff like that. Right. You know, it, it's uh, I've never been big into social media. I've never been big into that kind of stuff. But as I began looking at 5G, as I began looking at the telco space, two things happened. One is we started running focus groups. I just started running them on my own. And then I got an agency uh, involved to start running them. I started asking people about their service. And what we discovered was that everybody thought of their service provider as a commodity. Yeah. Nobody perceived any difference between AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile. Yeah. And even when we ran focus groups in other countries, you know, talking about Vodafone and, and O2 and some of these players in the UK as an example, nobody had any perceived difference. And they were making buying decisions based on price. The second thing that we learned though, is that we asked people, well, what's the one thing you wish you could get from your mobile operator that you're not? And they said, well, you know, I really wish they could help me with my privacy. I really wish that they could help me protect my personal information. You know, there was this feeling that too much of their personal information was getting collected, you know, and, and it, it was a bit of a dichotomy, I will tell you, because uh, people under the age of 25, one of my favorite quotes from all the focus groups that I ever did, I was at a college campus doing a focus group with a bunch of college seniors asking them about their mobile service. And of course, mom and dad are paying for all their mobile service. Sure, of course. But they're all getting ready to graduate. And I was asking, well, how many of you are going to get kicked off the family plan when you graduate? And, and it was interesting. About half of them were about to get kicked off the family plan and they were starting to explore what their options were. Uh, but what was interesting when I started, uh, one of them started raising questions about privacy. And so I, and this is one of the things I did in the focus group. I never directly asked them about privacy, but in every single focus group we ran, and we ran more than hundred focus groups, somebody raised the question of privacy always. So that's why I knew there was some kind of a niche for this, right? Yeah, yeah, but when yeah. we started talking about privacy, one of the best quotes I ever got was, hey, I've never had privacy. My naked baby pictures were on Facebook. I have no, no concept of privacy. Right. And so there's kind of this understanding of people under the age of 25 that their data is out there. There's no such thing as privacy. Right. Whereas people over the age of 35 generally have a common understanding of what privacy is and, and that, you know, the right to privacy is an important thing. And oh, yeah. they wish their data wasn't getting collected. So it's, it's, it's a very different type of uh, uh, situation, uh, thought process on that. But but we recognize that there was a, an opportunity there, you know, so so. We began exploring that, and, and as I began exploring what was going on with privacy, started looking at social media, and like, I was shocked. Because, you know, I'd spent years in these countries where literally I had 
secret police recording phone calls that I was making and, 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 you know, investigating me or, you know, trying to, to listen in on my meetings and, you know, calling in and interviewing people who worked for me, wow. you know, in, in various dictatorships and stuff like that. You had this type of people and, you know, they were all wondering, is he a spy? Is he a spy? Which I was not, uh, for the record, I was not, but, uh, uh, what I was amazed at when I began looking at what's going on in the U.S. is actually the level of surveillance in the U.S. today is so much greater than anything I experienced in any of these dictatorships, in any of these emerging markets that I worked in. You know, it's just just shocking. Yeah, at least over there, you much... know, it's happening. Here, it's just getting collected. And, and what most, most, most people don't realize is you gave them permission. We, absolutely. You know, over there, uh, historically, <laughs> It's happened. Yeah. People expect the government to spy on them in their personal lives. Yeah. They expect that. You know, it's the whole KGB history and, 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 and that sort of thing. Over here, people expect to be free, you know, and they expect to not be surveilled. But yeah. in fact, it's just amazing what's going on. You know, uh, somebody sent me an article last night even about uh, T-Mobile uh, collects and sells information on all of the applications that you access on your device. Forget about, you know, the, the operators already record every phone call you make and every text message you make. And because of PRISM and other various agreements that they have with the U.S. government, the U.S. government has full access to every phone call you ever make, to every text message you ever sent. You know, I mean, just, there's no, no such thing as privacy from that, right? Uh, but they're also collecting data on every website you visit, every internet search you do, every... Uh, app you use and how long you used it and if they can what what you did on that app uh you know they know all your financial transactions that you make on your phone you know it, it's just incredible <clears throat> the, and the what, latest... what, go ahead i was gonna say what they don't know directly well they can buy on the open market because you know what your bank is selling all <clears throat> your financial transactions and yeah they claim they anonymize your data but you know it's been proven that with less than six data points you can de-anonymize anybody's data yeah, it's, so, it's interesting. It's interesting that just recently, um, um, T-Mobile just did an update, um, which is which was interesting to me because they their their whole focus in the paragraph of this update is focused on your privacy and security. <clears throat> I've been around big data since 2012, which is when it was really making its go. And big data to large companies was a great way to be able to improve the UX, the, the user experience. The intention was altruistic. What it's become is a serious bastardization of, um, only because of these, like the PRISM agreements and things of that nature. They can hear everything. They can see everything. And now that there's AI involved, they no longer have to have somebody sitting there. The AI figures out what's going on. And, and then the AI goes ahead and talks with the other AIs. Hey, so-and-so just said this. They weren't even on their phone. And this has already been shown a few times. I've, I've got friends that call me up and go, hey, uh, you remember we were talking about X last week? It's like, yes. Yeah. Right after that, I got two ads on it. They're marketers like me. So it's like, it's, I'm like, yeah, isn't that interesting? They go, yeah, this is some BS. Um, you don't have what you think you have uh, as far as privacy is concerned. And the fact that the government has access to any of it, they've already got their triggers set up. So if you say something wrong, you end up on their radar. So it's like, it's impossible now. And, and, and we, as a free society, we look at that and we go, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on, a, hold the phone, literally. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's crazy. So, so you know, just as an example about how people knew what was going on over there is most meetings at the ministerial or vice president and above level in national companies, they had a little box outside the door of the meeting room where you left your cell phones. <laughs> yep, exactly. Before you walked into the room, because they knew that if you brought up a mobile phone in, somebody was going to be listening. There was there there was a time too, um, and this was uh, I want to say probably about 2016, 17. Um, literally, one of the one of the guys that I know is real big in um, email marketing. Um, he literally came out with a an app, an extension for Outlook, uh, coded that would encrypt emails from 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 point to point. So that you right. couldn't break them open because they, at the time, there were guys out in, in Asia that, that created these sniffers that could literally sniff out information in emails and pull like quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. And the story that I caught from that was um, two large investment corporations. Uh, it wasn't Sachs and, and the other one. It was two other large firms. Um, one called the other and said, hey, um, <clears throat> just want to let you guys know. We just got a call saying somebody's got a hold of so-and-so's emails. And they are they're trying to sell us your emails. They want us, they they want to sell us your private information. And we're not gonna do it, but we want you to know your emails are not as secure as you think they are. Mm -hmm. And and that that app was specifically designed to help companies like that to anonymize or privatize those emails so you can't get into them. Now Microsoft, I think, has their own um, plugin of some sort for that, um, but it's probably still not enough. And, and so, I, out of all of that, you obviously found an opportunity. What did that? What did that birth? Well, I mean, uh, when I began looking at, okay, well, well, what does it mean to be private, right? You know, what's going on in the privacy space? And, and you know, I've never been in technologist. I've never been an engineer, a solution architect, or any of that kind of thing. I've always been the business side of things, right? Uh, so I began as a consumer going out and exploring what's out there, right? And what I discovered is the privacy space is, is actually a huge, you know, it's called a niche market, but it's a huge it's, niche, it's, uh, both in terms of the number of consumers that are interested in it, but also in terms of the number of players. There are literally thousands of companies all over the world developing phenomenal technology for this space. But there were a few things that I noticed as a business guy that weren't being done very well. One is every one of these companies was developing a niche technology that addressed part of the problem. You know, they were a VPN company, or they were a secure email provider, or they were a secure search provider, or, or something like that, right? And, and uh, the thing was, the other thing that they did that wasn't very good is they went out and talked about uh, their technology. Yeah. Their marketing was all about how great and wonderful their technology was. None of it was about, well, what's the benefit of that technology? Right? Typical, so, so, typical engineers trying to do marketing. This is, this absolutely. Is well, I worked in HP. That was an engineering company. I knew exactly <laughs> what I was looking at. I recognized it. You know? uh, the old joke about, uh, about HP was that if they were going to market sushi, they'd market it as you know, cold, raw fish. <laughs> because, you know, they just, you know, and this was classic engineering marketing that I saw. And so uh, when I looked at, th at that, I said, you know, there's got to be one, some way to make this easier for people. 
right? They don't, they shouldn't have to have a master's degree in cybersecurity yeah. to be able to figure out how to have a private conversation with somebody. And so I began looking at, okay, well, what can we do? And so, and so what I did was I focused on developing a, an all-in-one solution, if you will. Um, you know, one subscription, you get everything you need, you know, you don't, and, and by the way, it's really easy to activate it. So you know, a tap here, a tap there, and you're done. You know, your conversations are secure. Nobody's tracking your internet activity. People can't track your financial transactions. You know, that was really what I was looking to do. And, and that's really where uh, Volta Wireless came from. Uh, you know, I, I, I established a company. I identified technologies and tested them and figured out that they worked. And then I engaged with the companies that developed those technologies and said, okay, I want my own version of this. You know, let's, let's work together. And so uh, based on that, I've put together, uh, you know, a, a suite of software uh, that we're just launching now. Uh, it's called uh, Volta Complete Privacy. And, and basically it provides you, you know, uh, a series of services that help take care of you. So it's got Volta Private Mobile, which is, you know, essentially it, it's fast, reliable, secure, unlimited talk, text, and data. And it's got coverage in over 200 countries around the world. And when you use it, no one can track your identity, your location, or your communications. You know, we provide what we call Volta Private Number. So it's a brand new phone number that you get without having to provide any personal information. And you can use it to make and receive phone calls and messages, just like you would a regular phone number. Uh, but again, you're not providing any of your personal information and no one's able to track your calls. We have Volta Private Messenger, which you know people have heard of private messengers. They talk about Signal, they talk about uh, Telegram and some of these others. And we can have a separate discussion about what's really secure and what's not. But uh, we've developed Volta Private Messenger, which allows you to do encrypted voice calls, video calls, uh, uh, you know, group messaging, file transfer, uh, with up to 50 people at the same time, you know, without worrying about anybody listening in. Uh, we also have Volta Private Network VPN, which is, you know, it's a VPN. It encrypts all your internet activity, hides your IP address. Uh, and then finally, uh, Volta Private Payments, which is, you know, it's similar to Cash App or, or Venmo, uh, with one, a couple of dramatic differences. One, we don't collect your personal information when you sign up. And two, we don't collect your financial transactions and sell them to third parties. Uh, you know, you're able to uh, send money to anybody almost anywhere in the world without anyone tracking your financial transactions, no monitoring your financial transactions and no fees. And so um, I, I see some major security for you coming in your future. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, 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 uh, you know, I looked at it and started saying, okay, you know, what are the things that I would want to be able to do securely? Right. I want to be able to search the internet without somebody watching what I'm doing. I want to be able to talk to people without somebody knowing who I talk to, when I talk to them, what I said to them, all of that. You know, I, I want to be able to use my cell phone without having somebody track my location 24 seven. Yeah. That's, you know, and that's, and that's a big one for a lot of people. It's like, I can't even, I honestly can't even go anywhere anymore without somebody knowing what I'm doing. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and, and, and you know, it, the thing that's amazing is the technologies exist. It's just that nobody's put them together in a way that's easy for people to consume. And so, and so that's what we're trying to do with, uh, you know, Volta Complete Privacy. You know, uh, Volta Complete Privacy, it, it, you know, it's $9.99 a month and you get access to all these tools. But we'll talk more about that. Text and data we'll, and all that. We'll talk more about it later. Yeah. But yeah, it's, we're going to, we're going to work. Well, we're going to, we're going to dig into that in the last section of this because it, it, okay. it's, there's, there's stuff, there's stuff that, 
Well, because people like people any entrepreneur, I want to talk about is. my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, no. We're going to talk about your stuff, but people think yeah. they understand what privacy means. This is. I'm hoping this is going to like really wake some people up. In that last section, we can definitely talk about why privacy on your app works and and okay. and how that kind of stuff. Um, guys, we're going to take a short 30 second break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what. Um, Side of the being bored out of his mind, what motivates him? <laughs> <He's in college>. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back in 30 seconds. Hey guys, back here at Java Chat, hanging out with um, I'm gonna call him the master of privacy as far as I'm concerned, because that's just where this is gonna go. Uh, David Sinclair over here, uh, Volta Wireless uh, founder, and and like literally in the in the in the beginning section here, we, we were we were hearing that this was his creation wasn't necessarily a, a, a creation out of necessity. It just happened to be an opportunity and he was bored out of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, the more I learned, the more I realized there is a necessity for this stuff. Hmm. You know, that, that, that's, that, 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 that's just Valid. it. So I didn't, real, I didn't realize how bad things were. Right. It was amazing. I was like, oh my God, I, I had no idea. What's, what's no. interesting too is that when we, were, when we first started talking about this, um, the, these types of phones actually exist, but they only exist for the government. There's only certain, and you have to be a certain level before you get something like this. It, uh, it's it's there, there's a, there's different things, right? So, so if you're talking about a purely a de secure device, like a secure phone, uh, there are companies that manufacture secure phone devices for certain government agencies that need to have secure communications when they're abroad and not let it be known that that's what they're doing, right? Yeah. But those devices tend to talk only to each other. Yeah. They don't access the public networks. You can't make a phone call from one of those devices to somebody else, right? Yeah. So uh, uh, it's a, they're a little bit of a different breed, you know, now, now we'll talk about, we can talk about it a little bit more later, but we do have on our roadmap introducing a consumer version of that kind of a device. But right oh, now our focus is really around our software offering. Uh, we are not yet ready to launch our hardware. We're still in the development phase on that. But the software offering that we have, you know, it's it will work on any device. That's the yeah, best part. So. The fact that you can actually, and and again, we'll get more into how that works in, in the last section. When you're when you're going through, as you were going through your your career with with like with HP, um, there's always there's always the the people along the way that kind of help give you inspiration or mentor and stuff like that. Who were some of the best ones? Oh, and maybe even before HP, who were some of the best people that kind of gave you that that drive and helped you helped you keep moving forward? Because we never get there ourselves. There's yeah. always some. There's always somebody along the way. It could be an an old older guy or girl. It could be some some kid says something off off the cuff, and all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, you know. What were some of yours? You know, I I. I uh... I had a few different people that were very helpful in, in, in me making some big steps in, in, in my career. Um, and those people are still in actually very senior positions with various companies today. So, uh, uh, but what's interesting, I think different about my, my situation was that the people that motivated me more were the people that were tougher on me. You know, it wasn't the people that, you know, held my hand and, 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 and gently coached me along. And I, I had a few of those as well. You can't succeed without those, right? Uh, but the people who really, you know, turned turn things for me, changed things and pushed me in a new direction, you know, were the people who came and put a lot of pressure on me at various points in my career. You know, I, I had at one point when I was uh, a sales exec 
trying to establish HP's uh, new business, you know, the, the systems integration outsourcing business in a new country. At one point, I got told by my boss, David, you've been working on this contract for over a year now. And that's normal. You know, systems integration contracts will have a year to two year sales cycle. You've been working on this over a year now. We've been investing in it. You know, you've got until I come back from vacation. And if it, the contract's not signed when I come back from vacation, then you're going to be looking for a new, new job. Oh, jeez. And, you know, I, I will not name who that was uh, <laughs> uh, for, for, for his own protection. But we signed the contract the day before he came back from vacation. <laughs> so he, he, he took a six-week vacation. And so I had six weeks. And obviously, he's European if he took a six-week vacation. Oh, yeah. But, sure. uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but you know, it, it, was, it was, you know, I had a lot of people like that that were, that, that uh, you know, HP's culture uh, back then, um, in our part of the business at least, was a very tough culture. Oh, yeah. you know, people came in and pushed. You know, there, there was a guy by the name of Jan Zadek uh, uh, who didn't sleep, I swear. Because I, 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 he would send me emails at 2 in the morning, and if I didn't answer him by 5 a.m., he was unhappy. You know, I mean, it, it just, you know, I got into a habit at one point in my life of waking up every night at about 3 in the morning and doing emails, and then going back to bed. And I did that probably for 10 years, you know. Uh, uh, and it was driven by that experience of having worked for him because I ended up, you know, he was always somewhere in the chain above me. Uh, you know, I, I had a boss, um, he now runs, uh, sales, global sales for, uh, uh, AMD, uh, wow. Olivier Suinat, uh, fantastic guy yeah. in a social situation. Absolutely wonderful. He's French and he can be totally laid back. <laughs> However, he did get his MBA in the U S and so he knows how to flip the switch inside a U.S. company and turn into <laughs> that really tough sales manager when he wants to, right? Yeah. And, and, and he was really good at, at, at mixing that toughness with some kind of hold your hand coaching and show you how to do it. Uh, and then together with the, uh, okay, we're now in a social situation. How's your family doing? Yeah, you know, he, he, he was really great at that. You know, uh, Jan Zadek was, was uh, one of the things about Jan Zadek that he was famous for was uh, he had a phrase he would say, never tell me something you want me to forget. And, and, and the best example I ever heard of this, at one point he was running public sector sales for Europe, and then he left that job for a few years, and he came back to run all of sales in, in all of Europe. And the head of the UN account team, uh, United Nations account team, was presenting his account plan to him, and he says to him, well, do you know so-and-so? He goes, well, yeah, he runs this at the UN. He says, so four years ago, when I talked with him, he said to me this. And he quoted the guy from four years ago. He says, wow. If that's still true, then there's no way what you're telling me is going to work. So you need to go back and talk to him and make sure he's okay with what you're saying. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he, he was phenomenal at that. You know, he would just keep peeling the onion back until he found the soft spot. And then you stick a dagger in it as many times as he could. You know, I mean, it was, that, was, that was presenting to him. You know, it, it, it was, it was he, but, but at the same time, he was so good. I mean, he was so sharp. And you'd get him in front of a customer, and he was so impressive with a customer. You know, he, 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 had, that, he had a great skill set. So, you know, these were the kind of guys that I looked at as, as mentors. You know, and, and then I had guys that were kind of my peers, or one guy who was my peer at one point later became my boss, uh, uh, who I just loved working with the guy. Uh, Stefan Buchel, a German guy, uh, used to run... Uh, you know, he, he, was, he was a telco guy, 
Uh, so we had a lot of telco clients. About 98% of all mobile calls in the world are connected using software from HP. I've heard that before. Most people don't realize that, but they have a phenomenal telco portfolio of software. And uh, this guy was in charge at one point of sales in Central and Eastern Europe for, for the telco sector. And then later he became uh, the head of sales overall and, and later became, you know, at one point my direct boss uh, when I was still in sales. Uh, but he and I had been peers when he was doing telco because I was doing uh, alliances at the time. We got along great, but he was really, really a nice guy, genuinely nice and genuinely good at coaching and genuinely good at helping to better understand how to manage up. You know, so, so I, I had a lot, I was lucky enough to have a lot of great guys, but I was also lucky enough to have a lot of great customers. You know, I learned so much from my customers. Oh yeah. You know, when, when you're in a, a long-term environment, you know, if you go to some of these countries, right, you'll meet a guy when he's a junior manager in some ministry or some national company, and you work closely with him all the way up until he's running that organization. Right. You know, so, so, you know, you, you don't, you know, yeah, you do walk in sometimes and meet the, the, the president of the, of the company or the minister. Mm -hmm. But when you're in these types of roles, and I was in Central and Eastern Europe from 2005 to basically 2019, mm -hmm. um, you'll meet guys that are junior managers, and five years later they're directors, and you know, ten years later they're they're the guy in charge. Uh, and you learn so much from your customers in those situations, and, and and a lot of those guys, honestly, I still have great friendships with a lot of guys that I worked with. You know, I, I got one guy whose son uh, goes to college in uh, Long Island. And uh, he comes to the States every so often to visit him. And every time he's in, in the States, he comes down to visit me. You know, wow. we, we, we go hang out and talk and, you know, he, he'll, 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 he'll even drive to, to my small town outside of Tallahassee or, you know, he'll go to, you know, the beach in Florida and invite me to come down and stay with him uh, at the beach and hang out. You know, there's a lot of people like that, though. There's a lot of people I, ma I maintain good relationships with that were customers at one point. There's a, there's a good chance that we may be hanging out next year because um, my son and I are going to be with one of his friends at one of the air shows that's happening in Tampa. So we'll definitely have to make that happen. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, Tampa's actually where Dan is too. Dan's a, a, for those of you that don't know, Dan's one of my business partners. Um, and Tampa's one of those places I've always wanted to visit anyway. I haven't been. been to the, I've been to the East Coast of, of Florida. I haven't been to the West Coast of Florida yet. So okay. uh, I understand they're slightly different. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, Tampa's a nice place. Uh, if I were going to go visit the Gulf of Mexico, I'd probably stick somewhere further up the panhandle. Like, you know, my, my parents are retired and live in Destin. Yeah, right? yeah, I've heard, uh, I've heard that's a nice uh, area too. That's a beautiful area, great fishing. You know, yeah. I, my, my dad loves deep sea fishing and I like going with him to go deep sea fishing. So that's a great place for it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tampa's further down the coast and it's nice and it's got good beaches there too. Uh, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it'll be a good experience for you. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah for sure. Yeah, my, people I, realize that Florida is actually a very diverse state. It is. Uh, it's got it's got quite a few different, um, I guess, environments, all in one yeah. place. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you're talking East Coast weather, West Coast weather, um, the, the the lay of the land, albeit somewhat flat. It's not just the Everglades. Everybody thinks, oh, it's the Everglades. It's not the whole state. Come on. Uh, that, 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 that's Miami. Yeah. Yeah. You get Miami, <laughs> exactly. the Everglades. You, you've got West Coast like Tampa and, and up the Panhandle, and you've got East Coast like Jacksonville and, and, and then all along there with Daytona and all of that. But then you've also got North Florida, where North Florida is, frankly, a lot like South Georgia and South Alabama. It's plantation country. It's forests. It's, you know, a lot of fishing and rivers and ponds and hunting and stuff like that. It's, it's a different yeah. world. So, yeah, North Florida is a completely different environment.
Yeah, I, nobody knows this. I didn't even know that until you said that. I was like, wait a minute, they have forests? That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, the forestry industry in South Georgia and, and North Florida is a huge I industry. South, I know South Denver. Georgia has a lot of forestry. I didn't know. I didn't know it went all the way to North Florida. That's 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 cool. That's news to oh, me. Yeah. Now I now I want to go look. <laughs> well, there's a place that's like uh, the Red Hills Plantation Country, and it's basically the border between Georgia and Florida. Is a bunch Got of it. plantations, and okay. and they're owned by people you know. So like uh, Bill Gates owns a plantation down there. Uh, Mike Siebel, who did Siebel Systems, owns, owns one. You know, there's, okay, there's lots of yeah. families that own, own these plant, big old plantations. And there's a good you know, timber industry and, and, and you know, people who are into outdoors things like hunting <clears> and fishing <throat> and stuff. It's, it's a popular place. It's, it's awesome. great for quail and pheasant hunting. Ooh. So you definitely have hunting too. Now. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's something I haven't done in quite a long time. So hmm. yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to investigate. So you, so you now reside in the state of Florida? Uh, I am just outside of Tallahassee. Okay. I'm actually just across the, the, the Georgia border Okay, uh, cool. in Georgia, but it's a suburb of Tallahassee, basically. Got it. The, um, the choice to, to move there, was, 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 it, was it really calculated or was it just something that was an opportunity? Or? No, it, it, it was uh, my son's decision, actually. So uh, I grew up in South Georgia. Um, my parents retired and moved to North Florida. Um, and my sister lives here and we owned a house actually in, uh, uh Highland park in okay. tech in Dallas. Okay. Uh, I, I went to SMU as an undergrad. And so we owned a house right there next, next to campus. And, um, when we were getting ready to leave Kazakhstan and getting ready to send my son and my wife back, and I was going to be traveling back and forth. My son was 13 and we said, you know, he's, he's 13 years old. And, and, you know, the last time he lived in the States was when he was three months old. So, oh uh, you know, we left the States in 2005. So. Uh, uh, said to him, listen, you know, we can live anywhere in America you want to. By the way, we own a house in Highland Park. Uh, where would you like to live? <laughs> he chose here because he says, I, I've got four cousins there. Oh, you know, cool. I, I want to I I go to the same school as my cousins. And so that's how we ended up here. Um, you know, I, I would say it would never have been my wife's or my first choice because we're both city people and this is a small town. Um, but it's been very good, especially the last couple of years, all the craziness going on in, in, in the cities. We're quite happy not to be in cities. You know, yeah. all last year, my son was in school every day. They had football and basketball and soccer and baseball. And, you know, they didn't have any sports canceled because of COVID. Uh, you know, they didn't have to wear masks while they were playing them. Uh, you know, it was, it, was, uh, it was a very nice place to be when the rest of the world was going crazy. Yeah. Well, so, uh, they haven't stopped going crazy yet. We're we're hopeful that some some semblance of sanity will return soon. Um, in the midst of all of this, um, you know, learning, growing, and and moving along, and coming into now this new business, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've caught um, as you've been like building Volta and things of that nature? What are some of the biggest lessons you think you've gotten out of all of this? You know. Most of the biggest learnings that I've gotten have been just shock at how how much surveillance there is, how much data gets collected, how it gets analyzed. The other thing too is the way they synthesize data because it, you know people say, well, you know, Facebook can't get everything about you. Well, whatever they don't collect themselves, they can buy on the open market because yep. your bank is selling your data, your telco operator is selling your data. I mean. Anybody 
anybody you're connected with has developed a business of selling the data. And they claim that they anonymize the data, but you know, the, one of the other big learnings is it's so easy to de-anonymize data. It's just amazing. You know, uh, lots of different data researchers have shown with five or six points of data, you can de-anonymize anything, basically. And so, so that's been just really scary, really shocking. You know, uh, I always grew up with this attitude of, you know, I'm free to do whatever I want, whenever I want and all that. But, you know, one of the other learnings I've had, it's been amazing. I've got a teenager, right? It's been amazing watching how because of everything going on on social media kids self-censor oh yeah they are you know they don't go out and just say whatever comes out of their out of their head you know when i was a kid teenagers we said whatever the heck we wanted to and and we said it one second and everybody forgot it the next yeah nobody forgets anything yeah. it's recorded for posterity forever on the internet now no matter what you do in your life and so so uh, kids are so much more uh, risk averse today than I was and then any of my peers were going <clears throat> up because they're so afraid you know they can't they don't live freely and I'm just you know I, I I'm I'm not happy with that, that, that that people feel like they can't live free that they can't say whatever they believe and 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 do whatever they want you know associate with whomever they want to you know these are supposed to be god-given rights that are you know protected in the constitution but they're supposed to be you know from nature from god yeah. you know yeah. they're, they're, they're things we're born with yeah. uh, and 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 the constitution says government can't infringe on them but it isn't the government who gave them to us you know and and it's really it's not government that's taking them away from us it's the society that's developed around these social media apps you know we're doing it to ourselves and so you know uh, I, I don't think there's a solution to everybody having a camera in their hand. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's, it's going to be what it's going to be. And you're always going to have people behave badly on the internet, especially if they can be anonymous. Uh, but at the same time, I do think that there's a, a, a certain amount we can do to help protect ourselves, you know, to live a little more freely, to be able to, to at the very least explore ideas freely. You know, there, there's a, a, a great book called Privacy is Power, um, where, uh, and I think I've mentioned this to you in a conversation we had before, where, where, where the author explains um, the importance of privacy in your ability to explore new ideas and evaluate them and you know, discard the ones that, that aren't worth keeping, but also to, to keep the ones that you want. And then also the ability to discuss those ideas with other people as a way to explore them and not worrying about those discussions being exposed to others and you being ridiculed because of the questions you asked or, or, or whatever, you know, uh, people are terrified of, of looking dumb. Yeah. You know, asking dumb questions. Um, you know, I, I always walked into a situation and say, listen, I'm going to ask questions that sound dumb to you, but usually when I ask dumb questions, I get some really interesting answers. Right. But there's a real fear of people not looking intelligent, not looking informed, uh, uh, being perceived as being ignorant or, or biased or whatever. And, 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 you know, you don't, you don't solve those problems without asking questions and, you know, without being, you know, you need to ask questions and not be afraid to ask questions. I, th I know, think that's and, one of the biggest, I think that's one of the biggest fallacies is, and I don't know why that's still uh, proliferating today, but that there, is, there are no dumb questions. 
you just may not know. Right. And how are you going to know it if you never ask? It, it's it. And the other thing is worrying about what other, anybody else thinks about you. I mean, I don't know everything. I mean, I worked in telco. I don't know squat about telco. And I was a junior tech. I programmed radios. I still don't understand a lot of stuff that goes on in telecommunications. Because oh, yeah. that wasn't, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't my, my responsibilities were pretty finite. I only had to mm -hmm. take care of this. You want to talk about other stuff and engineering and stuff like that? I'm out. I'm not an engineer. I, I can't do yeah, that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. You know, I, I was the dumb sales guy. And, and, and even when I talk to technology guys in my development team today, I say, hey, I'm the dumb sales guy. So forgive me in advance if I ask stupid questions, okay? But that's the only way I'm going to figure this out, you know, and, yep. and, and, and uh, forcing engineers to speak English. That's a continual challenge no matter where you go. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I've been in the tech industry long enough that, that, that uh, I've, I've gotten to the point that I understand that a little bit. But I will tell you, there, it is a huge talent when you find an engineer that can s explain things plainly. Oh, yeah. You know, one of the greatest experiences I ever had. So I worked at Colgate-Palmolive before I went into the tech industry. You know, I was selling toothpaste and, and soap. Uh, and I got hired into, uh, I got hired into Compaq, actually. So I was at Compaq when they got acquired by HP. And I got hired into Compaq's uh, new product development division in, in servers. And I didn't know anything about technology. So third day on the job, my boss had uh, an engineer come in and talk with me really nice guy um really really nice guy and he basically taught me how a server works for kindergartners that and he literally said this is a memory bus think of it like a school bus there's only so many seats and you can only put so many kids in each of those seats that's exactly the way a memory bus works you know literally this was you know technology for kindergartners that that speaks to exactly how well he did because you remembered that whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah. it was, it, he was phenomenal. I mean, to this day, I can draw the, the, the technical design of a motherboard for you and show you exactly how, it, it's a cross. You know, it's like a map of Washington, DC. You know, you, it, it's shaped like a cross with a processor in the middle and then you got the different things, the different extremities, you know, and, and, and he was phenomenal at, at, at educating me on that when, and I desperately needed it because I was coming from selling soap and toothpaste, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know anything about computers other than how to turn <coughs> one on. And that was only if I was lucky. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get you. That's it. That's there needs to be more of that kind of mentality when it comes to engineers, because um, they're highly specialized and they're they're very they're very necessary for what they do. But in order for them to translate, for the guys that gotta you know help pay their paychecks by selling the stuff. Mm -hmm. It might make a might make a little sense to learn how to do the four dummies series for for people. <laughs> Just well, you know, I, I will tell you, um, a lot of the reason why I made money as a sales guy was because I was a good translator between engineers and non-engineers, and, and not just in my company, but actually for my customers' companies. Because a lot of the times you find it in the clients, the IT department thinks this way, and the business guy thinks that way, and they don't understand one another. Yeah, yeah, and, that's often. And, and I would be a you know, cultural translator between IT and business a lot of the times, you know, I, it, so uh, it, it's, it's a, it, it, it's a, uh, it's, it can be an issue, but it's also a good thing at times, right? It's, but, you know, but the, going back to, 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 circling back to the original uh, topic here, though, is that um, people are so worried these days about what other people are going to think about them. You know, people, 
you know, when they begin realizing how much of their conversations on their cell phones are recorded, how much of them, you know, and, and when a telco records your conversation, they keep it. Yeah. It's yep. accessible for years <clears throat> afterward. And, you know, every telco company in the world has been hacked at one time or another. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, and so anything you say or do on your mobile phone or with your mobile phone near you pretty much has been captured by somebody. And is accessible to somebody, and 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 you know people are worried about what they say and do just in general. But when they realize how much of that stuff is being captured by their mobile phone, you know it's just it's 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 shocking. And so, really, one of the things that I wanted to do with with Volta was provide them you know a safe space. You know, I'm not a big fan of that term, uh, but in terms of of people's data getting recorded, I wanted to to, to make their mobile phone safe. So they don't have to worry about it capturing. So there's a place here called Switch that has um, major, major, major storage. Um, gentleman that started it um, actually found one of the fiber pipelines that was that was uh, abandoned by Enron. Oh. And picked up the first one. It's on the east side of town, and then decided to extend it and started building <clears throat> server farms on the west side of town. He now has. I believe he now has five with a sixth one being built. And these are these are server, these are server farms that are not hollow floor. They're solid floor. Very well um, climate controlled. The AC units are multiple style AC units and heating. They're all in one. They, they, they look like storage containers. They're that big. And there's multiple ones all the way around the building. <laughs> one rack can pull that can be somewhere around. 20 plus servers and you're talking almost millions of square feet of storage um super protected uh, the security there is insane you you can tour the the original facility um but not the newer ones obviously there's we went into the original one on a tour um and fox actually has a knock in there for those who don't know what the knock is it's, it's basically a monitoring station where some of their signals run through this original station. Well, that's just a knock. That knock's probably maybe six, 700 square feet out of the millions that they have in there of servers. As we were going through there, they pointed to the back of the room. They said, eBay has a section in the back. That section is not for anything more than storage of past transactions. Google has their servers over there. That's for their storage. And the mm -hmm. word storage hit my head twice. And at the time, I wasn't really listening or understanding what they were saying. That's storage from people's searches, storage from people's purchases, their online activity, their viewing activity. Uh, the amount of data that is stored is mind boggling. And for anybody to think that they have, you know, a VPN is going to privatize everything that you have, that's not enough. They'll find you. They'll find you another way. You mentioned five data points to de-anonymize. Facebook holds over 100 some odd different data points on every user they have. You cannot tell me they do not know who you are. They have thousands. You know. Yeah, I'm sure it's more than that, but I, I, I heard yeah. it one if, if, if they're using uh, Android, it's even more. Mm. Right, because because you know Google's collecting all your location data and everything through Android. 
So, you know, it's, it's not, you know, and, 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 you know, I'll tell you, Apple has spent, Apple's been been great for the privacy industry on one hand because they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on these privacy campaigns. <clears throat> Apple is privacy and all this stuff. Um, except for that little detail that they don't protect you from Apple collecting your data. Right. You know, so right. it's 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 uh, 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 you know I I I I'm not a big fan of uh, Facebook, but I have to say that Zuckerberg is right when he complains that. Apple isn't actually protecting protecting people's privacy. They're just giving themselves a monopoly on the collection of people's data. Yeah. Well, not like he's not a part of that same kind of monopoly. So it's like, well, like I said, I don't necessarily calling, like him, but not calling but, it a kettle black. Well, no, but but he's he's, just, he's trying to point out the fact that they're they're actually not being, you know, honest, right? No, none uh, of them are. And, and that's, so it's that's a kick to me that that whole thing goes on, but that's why you're around. That's why we're, we're, uh, we're talking about what we're talking about. I, and guys, we're going to take a short 30-second break. We're going to come back. I want to dig in because what David's figured out <clears throat> with his team and what they've created and how, how it all ties together and actually anonymizes what, what you have and what you're doing, pretty phenomenal. So we'll take a quick 30-second break. We'll be right back. And we're back here at Java Chat, sitting here with David Sinclair of Volta Wireless. Uh, the software that you've created um and this this guys is where you need to really pay attention because <clears throat> having privacy online you can go to DuckDuckGo and do that i think there's a, a, a browser called brave you can go do that that doesn't privatize your phone they can still find you however what david's created with his team um I think you can finally do it. And I'd, I'd like, Dave, I'd like to spend a little bit of time on the, the, the discovery and the creation of the technology and some of the things that you guys have put in place to, to make that a possibility. Sure, sure. So, you know, let me upfront say we don't solve the whole problem. Nobody can solve the whole anybody problem. Yeah. Uh, at least at this point. You know, now we're working towards that. And, and, and frankly, our, our part of our goal is to get to where we do solve the whole problem. Uh, but as anybody who's involved in technology knows about the, these things, they have what they call attack vectors, which is basically how they attack your device to collect all your, right? And there's, so there's a lot of different attack vectors. And, 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 you know, what we began with was a relatively, what today most people can consider kind of a given, which is private messaging, right? So we developed our private messenger app, you know. What a contradiction in terms. <laughs> So, so, but the idea though is that with the private messenger, it uh, encrypts uh, what we do that's different. Uh, first of all, most private messengers today use the same protocol, uh, open source protocol that Signal uses. Uh, and they just do end-to-end uh, -end encryption and, and they're done. Um, we're using that open source protocol. Uh, we don't do, we actually do multi-layer encryption with our own unique protocols. Uh, so we do end-to-end -end encryption. In addition to that, though, we encrypt the, the, the route that the message is sent over. Uh, in addition to that, we uh, also um, have the route change. Every single time you, you, you have a communication session, the route's different. Really? Right? And, and everything is peer-to-peer. -peer. So uh, the idea here is we want to make it impossible for somebody to get between you and the person with whom you're communicating by essentially having the route be random and have everything encrypted in, in, in three layers of encryption. 
And of course, if you're running our VPN at the same time, well, then it's encrypted a fourth time as well. Uh, but but the, the, the whole point here, though, is to make it where there's no way anybody can reach you, right? So, so the idea of the private messenger was to enable people to have voice calls, video calls, you know, encrypted messaging, et cetera. You know, uh, people say, well, I got signal. That, that, that's good enough. And, and signal is nice. Uh, it, it is good. It's not as nice a user experience as, as our messenger app, in my opinion. Uh, but more importantly, Signal has been hacked. So there's a company called NSO from Israel that has a, a software they call Pegasus, which is used to hack Signal. It's what? hacked Signal numerous times. Wow. Uh, so, so NSO is a company, uh, Apple actually filed a lawsuit against them uh, recently, claiming that they were misusing uh, uh, their access to Apple APIs and such to hack into people's phones. So NSO is a security software company that specializes in hacking communications. And they sell this technology, their software, to governments around the world. That's their business, right? And so um, you know, their claim is that, well, we're enabling uh, governments to fight terrorism and things like that. But you, know, you and I both know that there's a, a thin line once a government has that power uh, between going after terrorists and going after Parents that are unhappy yeah. about their school board de uh, yeah. decision. Yeah. The government yeah. has now decided they're terrorists. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. So so anyway, uh, so the messaging platform that we're using has been around for over ten years, and knock on wood, at this point has not been hacked before. Uh, also, uh, one of the things you'll find is there are certain countries that have figured out how to uh, inhibit the ability to use uh, various encrypted messengers. So, for example, WhatsApp. Uh, you can't use WhatsApp in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Uh, you can't make phone calls in, on WhatsApp in the UAE. Uh, there's issues using WhatsApp in Belarus or in, in uh, China. And there are a few other countries, right? And, and, and most of the other messaging apps have also, governments have figured out how to prevent them from being used. Now, so far, our messenger doesn't fall into that category. The next step after communications, we said, well, let's go to internet searches. You know, and that's a VPN, right? So we developed our, our own VPN. Uh, we've got our own VPN. We've got uh, servers. We've got uh, more than 25,000 uh, uh, servers in 16 countries around the world. Uh, so essentially, you can get a, uh, a VPN server close by you, or if you want to get access to, example, Netflix streaming for the U.S. when you're outside of the U.S., you can access it through one of our U.S. servers. Um, but the uh, uh, but the idea, though, is to enable people to encrypt their internet searches and, and their internet activity, right? Uh, because uh, if you think about it, if you're on a Wi-Fi in a restaurant, or you're on your mobile phone with you know, your operator, Verizon, AT&T, whatever, whoever owns that network is collecting data on everything you do on the internet. And so, but the only way to protect from that is to use a VPN. Yeah. So VPNs help, help protect from that, right? Uh, then we began looking, well, what else is going on? And we said, you know, I, I was amazed when I began in, in exploring the financial industry, every FinTech company, every bank, all they're doing is collecting all your transaction information and selling that. Yep. You know, and so Facebook buys everybody's transaction information and combines it with all the data that Facebook gathers. Facebook goes to the telco operators and buys the data from them and combines it with the stuff they have. So Facebook has an entire profile on everything you do, and not just online transactions. They know all of your real-world transactions because you're using, unless you're using cash for those transactions, 
they've got a record that you did it on your debit card or your credit card or whatever yeah. they've bought from your bank and they've connect that with your personal profile. And it's not just Facebook that's doing it because Google's doing it and Amazon's doing it and anybody and everybody, the governments are doing it. You know, it, anybody and everybody who has this developed this AI capability, they create these profiles of you. And so we began developing Volta private payments as a, as a secure payments platform where you can send money to anybody and no one is tracking your financial transactions. You know, that's yeah. the whole point of it. Keep it private, right? Uh, then we began thinking a little bit bigger. You know, I went back to my idea around 5G and mobile phones. It's, you know, the, everybody, when they talk about big tech, they think about Facebook and Google and Amazon. Sure. sure. They forget about the original big tech companies, the telco operators. Yep. <laughs> Those guys have been collecting and selling your data for decades. Oh, yeah. They've been doing it before, before the internet existed. So, uh, you know, began looking at, well, what are the mobile operators doing and how are they doing it? Well, the key to the mobile operators is their SIM card, yep. right? You get a SIM card from them. Your phone number is attached to that SIM card. Every call you make gets delivered to you through that SIM card, every SMS, et cetera. And it goes from that SIM card to the radio network, to their uh, uh, core system, right? The, the, the core system is every, every operator has their own core system. And that's where essentially they have a server in the middle. They call a man in the middle hack where they record every SMS you send, they record every phone call you make, every internet session you do. They have what's called a CDR, it's called data record. CDR is what it's called, but it's for even, even your internet searches, they record them there. And they maintain this for five to seven years and they're obligated to provide the government with access to these things. And so I, I said, you know, what can we do to fix that? And, and I came, I mentioned before, I was doing industrial automation. I came out of the industrial automation industry and you were working in emerging markets doing industrial automation and you want to do these, you know, what they call IOT solutions, right? Internet of things solutions yeah. where you put these great gadgets to gather data on, on, on a locomotive or on, a, on an oil well or whatever, right? Uh, you got to get that data back to the data center so the software in the data center can process it. Well, you need that communications layer. And a lot of these emerging markets, the communications layer wasn't there. And so we'd have projects where 70, 80% of the project for industrial automation would actually be either implementing fiber or implementing a wireless network. Well, when you implement a wireless network for those types of things, you're not needing to do voice and SMS, you're just doing data, Yep. right? And, and so when you look at it, there's a whole industry in the world of selling, you know, producing and selling data-only SIM cards for machine-to-machine -machine communications. And these SIM cards are everywhere. You know, you, you have your, uh, the rechargeable bikes and rechargeable scooters that you see in cities now, right? Those yep. have those SIM cards in them usually. They're using you know, data-only SIM cards to connect to the whatever available network there is, AT&T, T-Mobile, et cetera, and transmit the data that they need to transmit. And they're doing it in short bursts. And, and in every country in the world, there are literally millions of these SIM cards today, whether it's the US or it's Vietnam or even you know, the Congo. They have millions of these data-only SIM cards there because they're being used for everything from you know, logistics, tracking cargo to these types of rechargeable bikes and things like that and everything in between. So what we figured out though, is that we can use those SIM cards to provide our subscribers with access to effectively the internet. And then we can use our private messenger to actually deliver the calls. Huh. And then we integrated our private messenger with the outside world. So like Skype, you can make calls on Skype to a regular phone number you can do that through our private messenger as well. You can make and receive calls with regular phones through our private messenger. And the SIM card that we provide you effectively acts as internet access. 
And because it's all data, everything's encrypted. And so uh, what happens is the operators, the network operators like AT&T or T-Mobile or Vodafone or whoever, look at that SIM card as, oh, it's a data-only SIM card. It has an ICC ID, which basically tells them that when they get uh, data traffic coming from it, who do they send it off to? They don't even pass it through their core system. It just gets immediately shipped off to whoever the operator is that owns it. And we have our own core system in place. And so those signals, data signals from the radio network come into AT&T and AT&T says, oh, that's Volta's and they immediately send it off to us. And we get that and then we're able to connect the calls and we're using a, a VoIP system to connect phone calls. And so what happens is if you're using, you know, if two subscribers to our service are connecting with one another, it's completely peer-to-peer. -peer. It doesn't come back to our servers at all. It's peer-to-peer -peer and, and it's all encrypted and, and you know, nobody can touch it, right? But if you're calling somebody who's not on our network, you make the phone call, your phone call goes to our data center and then from our data center, it connects to the regular uh, telco network. Well, once it leaves our data center, you know, it's no longer able to be encrypted and all of that because it's got to go out on the regular telephone lines. But if somebody goes, you know, and hacks the, whoever's your recipient to that call is and tries to trace that call back to you, it basically ends at our data center. Yeah, because there's nothing else to track. Yeah, once it gets to our data center, they, they, they don't know where it's going from there because that's it. It's done, right? There's, there's no way to trace it back. And one of the things that we're doing differently is we're not collecting data records. So there's a lot of legal stuff around this, but one of the key differences though is we're not providing voice and SMS services. We are a data services provider. And so we don't collect information on who you call, when you call, any of that. Which is also why when you look at all of our plans, you know, you want to have unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data in the U.S. and 44 other countries, well, that's $39.99 a month. Because I have no idea how many calls you're making. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what internet searches you do, how much data you use. I don't want to track that. Right? Now, I get an invoice from various operators around the world saying this is how much data your service used this month, but I don't want that data drilled down to the user level, right? Right. To the, even even to the ICC ID level, the SIM card level, right? I want it at the level of Volta as a company consumed this much data, and I don't want to attach that to any of my users because, you know, I don't want you know one of the key foundations of the design of everything that we build is ignorance by design. I don't want to know, right? Because if I don't know, then nobody can ever think I'm collecting and selling your data. Exactly. The government can't come and demand it. You know, they're welcome to come and demand it, but I can't give it to them. I got nothing to give to them. They're welcome to explore our systems, but I got nothing they're going to find, right? And then last thing is that no hackers can steal it. Yeah. Right? So nobody steal. Can, you know, I, I, I expect at some point we're going to get hacked. It's going to happen. Everybody gets hacked. There, yeah. Anybody who tells you that they don't get hacked, it's not true, right? Yeah. Our, our, our website will eventually get hacked by somebody. So I make sure there's nothing there yeah. for them to steal. You yeah. know? So, so when you sign up for our service, you're completely anonymous. You give us an email address and you give us a payment method. Now, you go out to our website today, we ask for a credit card number. We don't ask for the name on the credit card or anything like that. We ask for the credit card number because that's the minimum that Stripe requires us to get from you. And basically, whatever the bare minimum, that's what we get. So credit or debit card. We're in the process right now of implementing uh, crypto as well, though. So you'll be able to pay with cryptocurrency. So cool. once you're able to pay with cryptocurrency, then it's completely anonymous, right? 
because you don't have to provide any personal information in order to pay with cryptocurrency. When that becomes a reality, please let me know. I've got a bunch of guys in the DeFi oh. space that will totally jump on this. So, so it should be this month, but I will let you know. It yeah. should be this month. So we, we've already, the development work is already ongoing. Um, so during one of the breaks, I was actually exchanging messages with this. Oh, that's what that was. <laughs> that was what I was. The software development team that's working on it. They were asking me questions okay. about the U UX that I wanted. So uh, uh, the user experience. But uh, uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's an ongoing process. But, but the idea here, though, is that I don't want to know who you are. I don't want to know where you are. You know, so along with that, I don't want to know where you are. So one of the things we've also implemented is eSIMs. So a lot of people aren't aware of it, but the last three or four generations of Apple and Samsung mm -hmm. and other major phone providers also support what's called eSIM, electronic SIM. Uh, and what this is, is instead of having a SIM card, so if you sign up with us and order a SIM card, I've got to ship it to you somewhere. And so you've got to yeah. give us a shipping address. Yeah. But as soon as that shipment is delivered, and as soon as you activated that card, we delete that address from our records. Because again, I want to know as little about it as possible. Um, the um, eSIM, enables us to cut that out completely. So if you get an eSIM, you can download your SIM off the internet. What? So you buy an eSIM, we send you an email with a QR code, you scan that QR code and your phone automatically goes through the installation process of installing that eSIM. And so you can download an eSIM today and you can actually use an eSIM at the same time that you use your regular SIM. So if somebody wants to you know, get, get, have all of their data stuff encrypted, but they still wanna get regular voice and, and, and SMS with their regular operator, they can do that. You know? Or if they wanna have uh, US coverage with the regular operator, but they wanna do you know, travel to Europe or whatever, well, you know, they can have a subscription with us and they'll have unlimited talk, text and data in, 40, you know, in 200 countries around the world for 9.99. You know, if they want high speed data, you know, it depends on what countries they need it in, but you know, the first 44 countries, including the US, Europe, most of Asia and South Africa, you get for $39.99 a month. You know, if you want some out of the way places like the Middle East or, 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 or Russia or something, well, it's a little bit more expensive, but you know, not much. So, uh, and that's unlimited high speed data. But if you just want unlimited talk, text and data, you wanna go roaming, but you wanna keep your US operator, drop an eSIM with our service on your phone, have it do the data while your voice is done through the other SIM and, you're good to go. Or you can download the eSIM and use it to completely replace your, your existing service provider. You can port your phone number in from whoever your service provider is today and, and go to town. You yeah. know, and, and, and using the, the one thing I will tell you, and, and for first time users, this is one of those things we're adding to our fact now or frequently asked questions. When you download our service, you download your eSIM the first time you, or you install your hard SIM the first time, you do not use the phone app or the messages app on your phone to make phone calls or send SMS because we're not using phone and SMS service. It's all database. So you use the Volta private messenger for all of your communications. Now, yes, if you have Signal or WhatsApp, that will work too because those are also database. But if you want to place a phone call to somebody who's got a regular phone and is not a Volta subscriber, well, then you need to use uh, the Volta private messenger app to place that phone call or send them an SMS, okay? Um, because that's the only way that it's secure. That's the way that it's encrypted. You know, we don't support regular phone calls or regular SMS. We support you communicating with somebody who is using regular phone and SMS, but you can't do that from your own device once you've installed our SIM on it. Yeah. Unless you're, do, unless you're using two SIMs, right? Yeah. You've got uh, somebody else's SIM installed in there as well to do the voice stuff. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people that, I mean, my, I'm, I'm just like literally running through the Rolodex in my head because um, there's a lot of executives and people that are in investment and stuff like that that would definitely use this because a lot of the conversations that go on, I mean, we kind of had a conversation before we started this. Um, 
about certain conversations that happened uh, between major corporations where yeah. like, yeah, we have some information or we've been offered to buy information just so you guys know. Uh, yeah, you might want to tighten that up a little bit. This sounds, oh, yeah. like, this sounds like a very good solution to help alleviate that kind of that kind of thing happening. So that's cool. Um, obviously, it's uh, voltawireless.com, correct? That's correct. Voltawireless.com. Okay. Um, sitting here hanging out with you, talking about your story has, has been both eye-opening and very enjoyable. I mean, I, I really like sitting and hanging out with you. So when we get to Tampa, you're going to have to come down. I'm going to have to have a cigar or something. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I definitely. Uh, Thank you very much for coming and sharing your story, your company, everything about it. It's, it's, it's been awesome. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. Oh. You know, and, and, and you know, anybody who wants to go out to voltawireless.com, please do. Uh, I think Mike, uh, you guys have a uh, coupon code. You can give it to your listeners uh, as that'll well. Be the, that'll be down in the, in the comments down below. If you guys go to Volta Wireless, that's, that's, that code will be right below that, that, uh, .com. Um, I believe it's 99 cents for the first month and 39 if they want to do the, the high speed data afterwards. Um, I know we're getting on it. So absolutely. So 39.99 a month is, is the uh, uh, high speed data plan. Uh, so unlimited talk, text and high speed data. And with your coupon, it's 99 cents for the first month. If you just want to try it out and see how it works. You know, yeah, we're feel we're, free to. We're definitely doing that. Um, if they want to find you. Where can they find you? I, I, I believe we're connected on LinkedIn already. Um, so, yeah. so LinkedIn is about the only social media where I really do a lot. Uh, so they're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, I also have a corporate email address that I can give them, you know, David at voltawireless.com. They're welcome to reach out to me on that. Uh, you know, I get a lot of people that are more technically oriented will contact me on that email address to ask technical questions. Sure. Uh, you know, so feel free to do that. Um, or just any questions you might have, feel free to, feel free, feel free to contact me. Awesome. Guys, also as well, don't forget, he'll have the links to, the, to both Anchor and to YouTube. So if you ask a question on either of those, he'll be able to check that out as well. Your best bet is to email him or catch him on LinkedIn. That's just the easiest. Um, just, yeah. just know that's available. So, so Volta Wireless has social media sites, pages on all, all yes, the various do. social media platforms. Instagram. Yeah. I've, I've seen it on Insta. I've seen it on Facebook. It's uh, definitely on LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with Volta directly to ask questions on the, the technology, that's all, that, that would be the way to do it. Um, if you want to find Dave and just want to chat with Dave, you can find him on LinkedIn. Uh, there you go. The, the, um, if you're watching us here on YouTube, I, I'm still just, all of this information, I'm just rolling around my head and my Rolodex is going, I'm like, I got to call so-and-so, I got to call so-and-so, I got to call. <laughs> Literally, one of the, a call came in while we were out doing the recording and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I got to talk to him too about this. Because <laughs> so, I had mentioned it to him. He's like, yeah, yeah, you need to call me on that. I'm like, all right, I'll call you in a minute. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, there's a little button down there that says subscribe and there's a button, there's a little bell next to it. And what that does is that notifies you when we get another great interview like this. Um, and there are, there are more coming and not necessarily on privacy. This is my privacy guy. That's it. That's all you're going to see. <laughs> That's who we're sticking with. Uh, but we have a whole bunch of experts and a whole bunch of people that come in that share their stories and share their, their insights and their wisdom. Uh, it could be on entrepreneurship. It could be on leadership. It could be on health and wellness, all those things. We do this for you guys. Uh, so if you happen to know of anybody else that may be in the realm of any of these experts and you want to see us interview, drop it down in the comments below. We'll see it. We'll reach out to them. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, awesome. Subscribe. 
if you're listening to us on any of the podcasting platforms that are out there, um, subscribe and download there. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. Uh, if you go to Apple, leave us a review. Uh, we'd love to. We'd love to hear from you. Um, good or bad. There's days where I, I, I actually have a, a, a hater. I, I arrived apparently. I said I had nothing of value to offer in one of the um, one of the podcasts I did, and I thought about it. And I was like, wow, all right. I, I guess I have to scale back a little bit sometimes. Um, we love that you guys listen to us, but you have colleagues, you have friends, you have family that could probably enjoy some of the nuggets that come out of this. Send this to them too. Share it with them. Might as well. I mean, it's it's worthwhile to listen. Um, take care of each other. This is this is being recorded right before the Christmas uh, holiday, so uh, and it should be out before the Christmas holiday. So make sure you guys are taking care of each other. We wish you guys a wonderful holiday season. Um, thank you for making the time and taking the time to really listen to us. Stay up, stay safe, stay healthy, and live. For myself, coffee with Mike, and for David Sinclair, Volt Wireless. Ciao for now. For more information on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening to Coffee with Mike on Java Chat. Tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode. You can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. A production of Oasis Media Group, LLC. Located in Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.